like my first experience ever yeah i think it was like my son's girlfriend is a lawyer she'll help you and i was like okay sure and i helped him get out of a detention center wow so then and he worked, <gasps> that must have been so it gratifying was so scary girl <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was very gratifying afterwards but in the beginning i was like oh my god this is so scary i'm like in charge of someone's life what if i don't do this right now i went in front of the judge i got him out of the detention center and so he told me why don't you come to this restaurant that i work at and i'll pay for your meal and i was like okay so i went with my mom his boss came out and was like thank you so much for helping Ooh. him he's such a good person and my mom was like so proud she was like oh my god i can't believe it you know Aww. so that's like the great part of immigration which yes. is like we get to see these amazing results of people like changing their lives My name is Naomi. I'm an immigration lawyer from LA and I have my own law firm. I am Oaxacan. Yes. <laughs> Both of my parents are from Oaxaca. I always like to let everyone know that. Is it uh, good food? Delicious. It's yeah. We actually just went in June and it was so good. What is a staple of the Oaxacan diet? I would tell you tlayudas. They're like tortillas, but even bigger. Oh, yeah. And I love tortillas. Yeah. You know what else is Oaxacan is mezcal. Ooh. So that one's a big one for I'm us. I'm a fan. Right? Yeah. My husband, we were talking about how we, for the longest, did not like mezcal based cocktails because they were too smoky. And we we're like, I don't know. They're not, they should just leave mezcal alone. And then recently we were at a bar there and it was so good. And we were like, wow, you know what? Yeah. It's okay to change your mind. And you can also reserve it for when you're there. Because mm -hmm. I'll tell you, when I, I wasn't really like a Guinness girl. Mm -hmm. I never liked Guinness. I used to drink a lot of beer, and Guinness was just not for me. Was it like too heavy? Or I just didn't know what the hype was. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a hype for a while. There was like Irish car bombs, and everybody was doing them. And so like Guinness was the thing. I wasn't about it. But then I went to Ireland, and I went to the Guinness store factory and had like Guinness from the teat mm -hmm. of Guinness themselves. That was like the best beer I've ever had. Like it was so delicious and pure. Like you could like really wow. taste uh -huh. everything that was supposed to be in there. And I was like, okay. So I like Guinness from the source. Okay. Yeah. But that's I don't, not asking for much though. No. <laughs> if you're going to give me a Guinness, you better take me to Ireland. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You know what? If you're going to give me a mezcal based cocktail, you better be at a Oaxaca bar in Oaxaca. <laughs> yes. In the city. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So how long have you do, been doing immigration law? Next year, February, it's going to be 10 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. I know. And time flies. I want to know why. When you're a Latina, you see it firsthand through your uncles, your cousins, everyone. Partially, even when I was like in high school, into college, I went to Cal State Long Beach. We were in social issues. We would find out a lot about immigration. And that was the biggest thing that it was like, there's no real pathway. There's no real change in these laws. They're very archaic. My thought was, I'll be an immigration lawyer. When I went into law school, I was like, I'm going to do immigration. 
it was never like, why am I doing this? It was always, I'm going to do immigration law for my community. Right. So it helped me a lot. It's already a tough process. So you're like, you need something to hold on to. Like, this is why I'm doing it. I think partially that and also just hearing from my uncles, from different people saying, I paid this person and they stole my money or oh. I did this and nothing happened. Immigration mm-hmm. lawyers that they paid? Lawyers, notarios, so people who are like notary public. I didn't know this until we finally got in it, you know, like when, when we were practicing. But once we started seeing people and they would tell us like, oh, they promised me like a work permit, for example. And so I got this work permit. And so when we would look at it, they're like, oh, you actually applied for, like, asylum. Did you know that? And they'd be like, no, no. Like, they just told me, give me this amount of money and I'll get you a work permit. And they do get the work permit because if you apply for certain things, you get work permits. So they would say, oh, it's fine. It's working because I got a work permit. But they would really, like, be put into proceedings, like deportation proceedings, for example. It's so tough because... Most people don't know immigration law because it's it's so complex. and yeah. it's, I think all laws are complex. It's just like yes. the law is so above all our heads yes. that unless you're immersed in it, you don't really know too much about it. That's exactly what, why I think we're always a hot topic. A lot of people think two things. Mm-hmm. One, like, why don't people just get papers? Like, if you've been here for 30 years, you know. I think that's why lawyers sometimes do end up becoming politicians. They say, oh, I can understand this law better so i can try to explain it but i'm also kind of of the belief that like you can try to go into the system and change it but it's so tough that it's probably going to beat you down we do always try to explain you know like it would be great if people were given 10 grand and you can get your papers people would do it like the yeah the issue is not really the money or anything like that it's the accessibility to actually be able to fix you know to actually be able to get papers so right my law partner and I. So we do a lot of videos like on TikTok and like on, on Facebook was our big one because that's mostly where like the tios and tias are. Right. <laughs> yes. So we're like still on Facebook and we'll say all kinds of stuff. Like if three people said no, but like one person says yes, cuidado, you know, because it's probably not true. Here in LA or in California in general, they've really come down on people about lying to people and trying to steal their money and like putting them into proceedings and all those things. So does this happen a lot? Yeah, and actually it was like a huge boom in the 90s because a lot of the people we would talk to for a while, they would be like, in 91, I got this work permit, but I don't know what happened. And a lot of times they would have deportations that they didn't know about. Can you play out like a scenario for me, like your most common scenario? It would be parents. So parents come to us a lot and they'll say, hey, my daughter turned 21. She was born here. And she finally asked for me because that's what I've heard. They could petition me. And so we would say, sure, how did you come in? And, of course, almost everyone's, like, walking, (laughs) swimming. Yeah. No inspection, pretty much. And so we would say, okay, well, did someone petition you back in 2001? or, Or is your son or daughter in the military? And then they'll tell us, no, you know, like, no. We're really sorry, but they can't. They just can't petition you. Um, because until something happens because they came here with yeah with no inspection pretty much just because okay. they came here and there was no one who inspected them right. so that's the saddest one because a lot of times parents wait 20 years and they're like yay like they're finally 21 oh, no. and then we have to be the ones where do they like, get this notion that that's true because it technically is true in the law if your son or daughter is 21 years old and they were born here they can petition you but the problem comes in when how did you come in? I mean, we don't like saying, like, you came in 
illegally. Right. Just, I was trying not to use that right? word because yeah, it didn't feel right. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just tough. And it's hard for us because even like in popular vernacular, it's always, oh, illegally or this and that. And we're like, it's okay. You don't have to say that. You could just say no inspection. If someone comes in with no inspection, it means you have to go back to the place where you came from to finish your paperwork. Yeah. So let's say you, for example, Erica, were like, oh, I want to petition my dad who has no papers. I'm over 21. I make enough money to petition him. And we'd be like, great. How did your dad come in? And you would say, well, you know, he came in, no documents, nothing. Okay. Well, you can petition him. They will approve that part. But then the second part, when he actually gets his green card, he would have to go back to like Nicaragua or um, Ciudad Juarez in Mexico or San Salvador. So you have to go out. But the problem is when you go out, you automatically get a 10-year. It's kind of like, like a, a... probation? Yeah, it's a castigo. We always say it in Spanish, like el castigo de 10 años. But castigo is like a, a punishment. Exactly. It's so oh, awful, girl. So we always say, I know. No. So we'd be like, le, dan, le van a dar 10 años because you have to be out there for 10 years once you leave. That's The tough part is rewriting these laws so that right. that doesn't happen anymore because yes. that's where people get caught up. If you were to marry Ralph and Ralph doesn't have papers, it would be a little different. He actually can get a waiver, a perdón for that castigo. Mm -hmm. And so it's different depending on who your family member is, too. Right. So that's how we try to explain. But it's always parents. And so now it's actually been a conversation where we tell them unless you do want to go back for 10 years. Like if your mom or dad do want to go back. And we've had people who have gone back and said i've been here 30 years and nothing's changed so i'm gonna go back mm -hmm. i don't know what the circumstances of everybody's plight to the united states sounds like ralph worked as a social worker for many years mm -hmm. and he was working with mostly non-english speaking clients mm -hmm. and a lot of these people were here without inspection uh-huh yeah he would ask questions and it was kind of like always the same answer of like fear, protection. Yes. I had to get out of there. Oh my God. And, yes. and thinking about putting myself in that situation, like why would I go to another country mm -hmm. without inspection unless I had no other choice? A lot of us understand, but not everyone because we haven't lived through that. There was a time in 2018 where there was also a surge of minors. I don't know if you remember, there was like a surge of Central American minors coming in, but just minors, like by The Guata Guatemala ones. Yeah, they were, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, we went to the border, like the detention center. I think we get this false narrative of they come in, they get everything, or they come in and they get work permits. Oh, my, my own family was like, how come they get all these things when they come in? And like, I've been here for 20 years. It becomes mm -hmm. one of those. We worked at a detention center that was like women it was like a family one so it was like women and children and we would have to be the ones to you know like do the interviews with them tell us what you're scared of you know let's talk about it so that you can present your case to a judge and so these women and children were like traumatized like and it was it was one of those things where it was like I literally had no choice because it was either leave with my child or my child was going to get kidnapped was going to end up going into gangs so mm -hmm. it was really heavy and that's also why we take <laughs> we take our our weeks off here and there because it's so heavy to deal with that and I'm i just sure. remember thinking of course like who wouldn't what mother wouldn't say yeah we're gonna we're gonna have to go somewhere that we think is safer yeah i was living in eagle rock for a time mm -hmm. and i remember i was sitting on the couch one day with the window open and i heard this man talking on the phone and he started talking about undocumented people at the border. This was around when that was happening. Mm. 
And he's like, well, you know, you already know how I feel about that. Like, why did you come here in the first place? And he's just going off and he's so upset about these people coming to his country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what you get kind of situation. And I was like, but you don't even understand. Mm -hmm. You have no idea why those people are there, why they came. I haven't had to deal with anything even remotely close to that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And it also doesn't mean that it couldn't have been me given different circumstances. Uh I could have been that child. I could have been that person. Any of us could have been. Mm -hmm. And if somebody started terrorizing Montebello. Imagine. And you're like, what do I do? It's just that we've never experienced something like that where all of a sudden The place that we call home doesn't feel safe anymore. It feels hostile. It feels uncomfortable. We got to fucking go. Yeah. We got to go. We have no choice. And some of the stories just feel like absolutely Mm -hmm. devastating. I think that one of the women that Ralph talked to said that the gangs in the area that she lived in had chopped off her breasts. Oh, yeah. You know, that's they had chopped off her breasts and she was like, they were going to take my kids. They were like, I I mm-hmm. didn't know what else to do. Would you say that that's the majority? I would tell you that the the newer waves, that's the big one. The older waves, it's different reasons, like the Civil War and El Salvador. Like, but the newer waves have been mostly that. It's been mostly gang-related violence. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people realize when they're coming here, too, the way that they're going to get treated. They put you in a detention center. It's pretty much almost a jail. So when we were talking to some of these women, they would were like, I almost wish I hadn't come. I wish I hadn't made that crazy trek over here, that life-threatening trek, because it's like you go through all of Mexico, which is also really dangerous, to come here and then to be put in a detention center. And some of them, if I'm not mistaken, separated from their kids. Mm -hmm. That was a big thing, too. Like, they were separating kids, putting kids into the system, but then they couldn't find them. I would say it's not like it's any different in terms of the amount of people that are coming than before because i mean our parents came like our grandparents came and there was like big waves of people coming in for different reasons all the time so i just feel like it's also this narrative of like we're getting invaded but it really it's never been that way no one's coming in here to be like let me take your jobs it's not that easy (laughs) yeah it's not that easy to just be like you know i'm gonna come in and take people's jobs and do this right the jobs that these people are doing are most often what it'll be who your network is so whoever they know here is probably going to be somebody else who's already working somewhere in construction we see a lot of construction workers actually a lot of restaurants which is cool for us because a lot of our (laughs) A lot of our clients will be like, come visit me at my restaurant. All right. Yes. <laughs> We're Love always it. like, when we used to be in Glendale all the time, we'd be like, sure, I'll stop by, you know. Yes. And it was really cool. Like, my first experience ever. Yeah, I think it was like, my son's girlfriend is a lawyer. She'll help you. And I was like, okay, sure. And I helped him get out of a detention center. Wow. So then. And he worked. <gasps> that must have been so it gratifying. Was so scary, girl. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was very gratifying afterwards but in the beginning i was like oh my god this is so scary i'm like in charge of someone's life what if i don't do this right i went in front of the judge i got him out of the detention center and so he told me why don't you come to this restaurant that i work at and i'll pay for your meal and i was like okay so i went with my mom 
his boss came out and was like, thank you so much for helping him. He's such a good person. And my mom was like so proud. She was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. You know, so that's like the great part of immigration, which is like, we get to see these amazing results of people changing their lives. Since we are so directly affecting that, you can see it and you say, okay, it's worth it. But then the sad part is everything else. Pretty much, like yeah. Everything yes. else, ninety percent, no, eighty percent of it, which is, I can't help everyone. First of all, and mm-hmm. that's tough because when you're getting into it, because you're like, I want to help people, you get to the point, kind of like Ralph, you know, like with social work, it's like you can't help everyone. No, and it's so tough because at some point you have to be okay with that. Like yeah. you have to be like, this is as much as I can do, and then hopefully there will be other people who will also be able to help. As a business, we've. We've been a law firm for eight years. Throughout those years, we've slowly said, these are the cases we can take and these are the cases we can't because they're too emotionally draining. They're too tough. Certain clients, because they've been through so much trauma, will like ghost us (laughs) for a while. So that became a little tough for us. We've slowly kind of niched our way into a certain part of immigration. Yeah. And that also shows us like immigration is so complex. There's a whole nother side, which is like, artist or like business immigration or you know there's people who've been trafficked that we don't really deal with because we're like i think i'm gonna do you a disservice by trying to help you so let me send you to someone who does do that but within the immigration lawyer community that does end up happening which is like you know who does what so you're like let me send you here because they're gonna help you better than i can well i think even that is a service because some people would not tell you anything would be like sorry we don't do that and that's it but the Mm -hmm. fact that you connect people to other people i mean that is that is amazing in itself i think that that's an incredible service i have a few questions here that i wrote down like when I met you at Hector's apartment. You're right. They like, had a party, right? And, yes, they yeah. had a party. And I met you and I remember you talked about being an immigration lawyer. And you said that there are what they call des- desirable immigrants. Like people who come from desirable oh God, yes. desirable countries versus undesirable countries. Where does that label come from? Like who says that shit? Uh, well, I won't put that name out there but somebody did recently you know? okay um but i will tell you this like it's such a trip because there's certain countries that have quotas you know i'm gonna petition my my sister in mexico it would be 20 years from now that you could actually do something with that so there's certain countries that are definitely like we have too many this must have been a couple of years ago too that i went to this interview and sometimes I'll cover for other attorneys who are like in New York, for example, and they'll be like, is anyone in L.A.? Can they cover? And I was like, sure, I'll go. So I went with them and it was I think she was German and the husband was this white American guy who petitioned her. We should be good. You know, if they ask you about this, you know, this, you know, we prep. And then the officer, the immigration officer is like, oh, you're from Germany. Oh, that's a desirable country. You're fine. You should be good. Just like that, full on. And I was like, oh. And then we we're put in this really awkward position. Do I argue with him about this right now and then have him deny these people their green card just because I'm arguing? This is everywhere. It's like very ingrained in them. And would you say that all desirable countries are white? I would say they're mostly because... They don't see as many of them immigrating this way, if, right. you know. So they're like, wow, you're coming from there. Yeah. We had a client from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And Nigeria is considered a high fraudulent country. Mm-hmm. Like when you're applying for stuff. So you have to do extra stuff to even 
have them approve something. And it's mostly because they're like, oh, yeah, Nigeria, there's a lot of fraud. But it seems so, like, targeted. Like, we're like, really? I yeah. mean, I'm sure there's fraud everywhere, first of all. But Yeah. So, what kind of fraud? Do they, like, what, what does that even mean? Right? <laughs> so they assume it's, like, marriage fraud. And then we're like, but, I mean, that could be anywhere. That could really. be anywhere. Why is, Remember why that they... movie Green Card with... Uh, <laughs> With Gerard Depardieu and, uh, <laughs> oh, what's her name? Andy Curly Hair. Curly Hair. And Curly. Andy McDowell. No. Yes, Andy yeah? McDowell. Okay. Yes, from Groundhog Day. <laughs> and that was a movie about that. Exactly. And that's a big thing in Canada, too. Like, people from Canada can come in. They can do. There's just, the fear is not as great. Would you say that the majority of your clients are Latinos? I would say, yeah, like 90% of our clients are Latinos. Yeah. And they're okay. actually, like... Um, Mostly Mexican or? I would say about mm, like 75% Mexican just because we're in L.A. But uh, we do have a lot of Central Americans too. Okay. Um, Fernando, my law partner, he's Central American. He's okay. from El Salvador too. Okay. We don't have too many other countries sometimes because if they speak a second language, if they don't speak oh, Spanish as a second language, right. it's hard for us. So we're like, are we doing you a disservice by trying to help you? But at the same time, like we can't really communicate with you as well as yeah. somebody else, which is interesting that we think about that because all these white attorneys don't care about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, since we're a law firm, like we have to pitch ourselves and be like, how much this will cost? This is who we are, you know? And so we have to let them know. And some of them will say, I've been to two or three other attorneys. I think we're going to go with you because you guys just seem more down to earth or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's, all, it's because the other attorneys, we didn't even get to talk to them like we got to talk to their assistants or and a lot of times because the attorneys don't speak spanish so yeah what are they going to talk to you about you know yeah. and that's where it gets lost in translation because then they'll say i told him this but he didn't understand and so oh, like, that's oh. terrible you should just say no i can't help you i i, I wish know. i could but i don't want us to get it or get a translator exactly so it's a it's a little tough um but for for us personally it's been good because the people we've gotten we always communicate with them like we and our spanish has gotten a lot better because of it because my law partner for sure at first he was like he's like i don't feel comfortable and then after a while i was like oh your spanish is so good now he's like i know it's like it's because of all the all the interactions we do and so that's also been a plus for us that's wonderful I think we talked to that day that we met about precedents. Do you remember saying that? Do you remember talking about how there's like precedents now that have made it even more difficult to immigrate? Yes. Oh my God. That's so funny. Yeah. (laughs) Why am I talking about this at parties? I need to stop. (laughs) I remembered it because it's important and it made me think. The thing is that I grew up also kind of like in an environment that believed like, you know, why are they coming here? And like, Mm -hmm. why don't they just do it right but what does that mean? What does doing it right mean? And I know that that changes with the decades and with the laws and with the presidents and with everything that's going on. Like the mm-hmm. laws change. And if one person, is it that if they're able to prove that one person, I think we were talking about asylum. I could see that. Yeah. Because uh, two things. Because I think one of them, I don't know about your parents, but my parents got their papers through the amnesty. So I mm. think when the amnesty went through, part of that deal that they did with the amnesty was that they were going to make the laws harder for everyone else. So even my mom, like, I'll tell her, like, you can't say, why don't you just get your citizenship? Because it was a lot easier during yeah. that time than it is now. My grandpa came from Nicaragua, but first he went to medical school in Mexico. He mm. went to UNAM. Oh, no. And then he came here. 
and my grandma, I don't really know, but like they don't have these like intense immigration stories, but my grandma became a citizen maybe like five years before mm-hmm. she passed away. It was very easy for her. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what the, f- what the yeah. fuck? There has to be a reason that people think that it's this easy thing that you do. And so just do it the right way, please. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that mean? And is that possible? And what does that look like to do it the right way? And is there time? Yeah, so there definitely is not time. <laughs> That's the main. <laughs> there isn't unless you're real. And some people will. They'll say, fine, I'll wait 15, 20 years. The, the problem will always be with doing it the right way is that, you know, when your life is in danger or it could be a multitude of things. But, you know, that's the biggest one. It's like I don't have time to wait 20 years for someone to petition me if someone's already living in the U.S. But if no one's there, then, of course, there's no one to even ask for you to come in. But if it's like, for example, like my mom and she's petitioning her sister, if her sister's willing to wait 20 years, but she already has a life out there, so it's fine. Yeah. But if you're already in the country, then you can't like it's very tough because of the way the laws are for you to actually be able to do anything once you're already in here but a lot of times also people come in because they're like i need a job i need to get paid more i mean so many people make more money here in like a day than they did a week in mexico for example and just because of the way the economies are you know so sometimes i'll say fine like i'll go and i'll do it because i'm already there another big thing that i think a lot of times people will equate with being the right way is coming in with a tourist visa. So we had a couple of even clients that I'll say, I came in the right way because they came in on a visa. So they came in with That's inspection. Right. And so overstaying a tourist visa is still not the right way. Yes. You know, let's not try to differentiate ourselves. Right. Because it's still not the right way. And it's, I don't know if it's just politically, if it's just socially, but we've really started to kind of try to separate ourselves from like even immigrants within each other like they'll be like i did it the right way they did it the wrong way right they can fix faster if you come in with a visa but it doesn't mean you did it the right way it just means you overstayed and there's a huge i mean i don't know it off the top of my head but there's a huge percentage of people who come in and overstay and that's still considered doing it the wrong way because you're not allowed to overstay but you just did it we don't like it when people start saying well i did it why can't they do it it's like well not everyone can get a visa first of all and yeah overstaying that visa doesn't help yeah so would you say it's a combination of the conditions in their home country being terrible and then them not really having the knowledge of what the laws are here Absolutely. I mean, like you said, right? Even we don't know the laws here. For I don't know shit about the law. <laughs> Tell so, you that right now. Right. You're I like, just found out a couple of days ago that you're not allowed to take sand from the beach. Stop it. I think I found that out recently, too. Why did I, I think I found sandbags out. for the rain. Because that's how I found out. Oh, okay. That's, I Googled it. I was like, is it legal to take sand from the beach? And it and said, no, it's illegal. <gasps> wow. Because it's federal land and you're not allowed to take anything off of it. I think even people when they're coming in, like we do hear these stories. We're like, well, I heard that I could just do this. Or you're trying to escape something. Or you, yeah, you don't know the law. Like even when we have people who will come and say, because I have cousins girl, who have been like, Oh, I'll just go work for a little bit and then I'll come, I'll go back home and then I'll be like, well, you're technically not allowed to work on that visa, but okay, you know. So we do tell people, but we're also sort of like, 
I mean, people are going to do what they're going to do. Right. For different reasons, you know, for survival, for this, for that. Is a work visa easy to get? A work visa is pretty tough to get, but there are certain places that get them for sure. Like certain municipalities in Mexico, for example, have access to those work visas because they have like direct contacts with like farms in the south, for example. Right. So they get those same ones every year. A lot of times they go to the south. The ones here in California, I feel like there's a lot of people who are already living here. So they just work these farms. For sure, we did notice is like there's a huge population going into the south of new immigrants. So like when we were at the detention center, some people were like, oh, I need to go to Atlanta. And we're like, who do you? Who do you know there? And they're like, oh, my brother, my cousin. So they slowly are. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a surge in the South right now. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's also why, because they're seeing them a lot more. They're seeing immigrants oh, a lot more than before. Yeah. And they're like, get out of here. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I think we are so used to it because, you know, we grew up here. So you'd see people coming all the time. Or... And they look like us. Exactly. You know, I think that's what it, I mean, I have to imagine that it has to be uncomfortable for someone to look at someone who doesn't look like them and feel a little scared. Mm-hmm. I went to France in 2017. It was during the time when the refugees from oh, Syria mm-hmm. were going into France. The streets were filled with Syrians and they all had like mattresses like out in the middle of the street. Like people were living mm-hmm. in the streets, but France gave them a place to live. And I remember feeling scared, like what is going on here? Because mm-hmm. it looks so weird to just like have people living in the streets, be inhabiting places that usually people are walking through. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, I wonder if this is what people feel when they start to see different people in their communities and they don't know how to feel about it. They're just like, hey, this is different. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. It has to stop. Yeah. And I think that's what they've started to see a lot more of in the last decade. It's like, because everyone's going in to those areas now. So before, maybe it was like more of a, oh, you know, I'm sure there's immigrants. I mean, there's always been like this anti-immigrant feeling here. But I think it's a little different. Important to also, yeah, like realize, you know, this happens all over the world. I don't know if you remember, but when those kids were coming in, Mexico was throwing a fit. Who are all these people? Like, because all the Central Americans, a lot of times they would have to stay in Mexico for a while. And then there was a time when it was Haitians, like a lot of Haitians. Oh, yeah. Haitians are in. Mm-hmm. They're and in TJ. like TJ a lot. I yeah. saw them. But but now the people of TJ, I think, have accepted yeah. them. Bien like trabajadores. And yes. That, yeah. They're heard. like super integrated. And it's yes. so. And that happened to us because we went down there, too, when, when the Haitians were coming in first. And people were like, who are these people? Where are they coming from? Mexico is so used to sending people to the U.S. Like they're used to being the ones that send immigrants. So they were not used to being the receiving country. Right. And so they have had a hard time with that, too. And I'm sure even like some of my uncles and aunts out there will be like, why are they here? You know, this mm-hmm. and that. I think I spoke to a local in Tijuana who was saying that, yeah, the Haitians have come in and he's like, man, they work hard. They're here mm-hmm. and like, we actually really like them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been long enough now that they've assimilated to the Mexican culture. They speak Spanish. They're working. They're in the restaurants. Mm-hmm. How beautiful. Yeah. And that's what it is, right? Because I think at the end of the day, we're going to keep seeing this. Like we're going to keep seeing all these migration patterns because at that time, the Haitians were coming from Brazil mm-hmm. because Brazil's economy went down. And so they were like, I need, we need new places to go. So that's why they they came this way it, we're gonna see it with central america because they have they were having a lot of droughts 
And it's just, I mean, unfortunately, because of the weather, the hurricane, the hurricane, <laughs> yes, <laughs> because of the all this tropical climate, storm, yeah, mm-hmm. all this climate change and everything, it's going to keep happening that people. They can't survive. And that's the other thing that people don't realize. Aside from the danger part of it, you know, like the gangs and all that. It's also that they can't grow anymore because stuff is too hot down there now. It's also environmental migration. Yeah. That's fascinating. People do not want to leave their homes, but they're like, if I can't grow anything anymore and this was what I would live off of, what am I going to do? Right. This is the skill that I have. Now Mm -hmm. I have to go do it somewhere else Mm -hmm. and hope that works out. Son of a bitch. Yeah. That's so funny. You remember that from our from the party? Yeah. <laughs> well, <about> president. <laughs> this really interests me. It does mm-hmm. because I don't know enough about it. I know that my dad got citizenship by marrying my mom. Mm-hmm. I don't understand, but I do know that there's a lot of like animosity around it. And because I have a platform mm-hmm. and because I know there are people who listen who don't understand immigration, right. mm-hmm. I want them to hear this. Mm-hmm. And so when we spoke about it before, I made it like a point to make mental notes of this stuff so that if ever I'm caught in a conversation, I can talk about this with some degree of knowledge, you know, that came from somebody who sees this day in and day out. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that you brought it up at the party because this kind of shit needs to be discussed. As we keep going generational wise, our children, our children's children, our children. I know you're not going to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> but my dogs are very tolerant. <laughs> yeah. Your dog's children. No. Not Chico. <laughs> Chico's not tolerant. <laughs> um, I feel like the more that we go on as a generation of Latinos, the less we will identify with immigrants sometimes because right. we will say, that's not us. They're not talking about us. Right. We were born here. Yeah. And I think we forget that. But even that. people who are born here are targeted. Exactly. You know, I'm pretty sure I've been told, go back to your country before. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, bitch, I was <laughs> born in Pasadena. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people they don't realize that you're you're not separate you know when someone sees you and they're anti-immigrant they're not gonna say oh this person looks like they were born here not you i'm talking about this right i have a friend whose brothers they were all born here but their parents are immigrants Mm -hmm. the brothers voted Republican during that last election and my friend was like but you know he's talking about us, right? And he's like, no, 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 because I was born here. He's not talking about me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that we do start forgetting unless you're like constantly seeing. Yeah. And- when the shit hits the fan, we're yeah. all yeah immigrants in their eyes. And it has happened before. U.S. born Latinos have been deported to Mexico, even though we weren't. Ooh, that's yeah. what I want to ask you about the deportation process. How soon after you get here are you wanted for deportation? Like how? What? How do you get deported? What happens? Does somebody report you? What is ICE's role in that whole thing? Because mm-hmm. like I see signs on the freeway sometimes they like no ICE, and I'm like, but what does ICE do? What is their job? So they are the enforcement part of immigration. So immigration has administrative parts. They have enforcements. They have border patrol. ICE is the one that will, they're almost like cops. Like they literally will come up to your house. Is Erica here? Let's go. So they are the ones How that How do they actually, know? Is it because people commit crimes? Is it because That's the what? big one. The big one is usually, and honestly, this administration, we haven't seen it as much, but it was even... In, under Obama, under everyone, pretty much. It's always been 
after 9-11, they redid the INS, which was the the one that used to do La all migra. immigration. Uh-huh. <laughs> so before, even now, some people, like older folks will be like, oh, INS. And we're like, oh, it's called ICE now. But yeah, yes. <laughs> you get the gist. And mm-hmm. so the problem with them, I have so many issues with them. But <laughs> Girl, vent. This is your place to vent. It's a safe huh? space. I was like, ah, oh. they make me so mad. But they're the enforcement part, but they don't really care how they enforce. So they will lie to you. They will show up at houses. And then for a while, they would take anyone who didn't have papers in the house. So it wasn't even like, oh, is Erica here because she committed a crime? It would be like, is Erica here? No, but do you guys have papers? Oh, no, then let's go. Yeah. So they would take anyone and everyone. Yeah. And so they put them in these detention centers and their jails and they're very far away so the, they process them in downtown but the nearest detention center to us is in Adelanto by Victorville they make it really hard for attorneys because who's gonna I mean it's so tough to be driving out there every day two three hours you spend your whole day out there yeah so they do that on purpose too to make sure that people don't have representation Motherfuckers. so it's it's tough and isn't that expensive for the country because isn't the whole beef with immigrants is that they're costing us a lot of money they're taking our jobs they're tapping mm-hmm. into social security they're tapping into welfare but it's like but if you take them and put them in these detention centers and you're feeding them and you're housing them is that not a cost to the country it is and mm. um <laughs> mm. the prison industrial complex yes same thing with immigration so there are specific companies that do all of that and so they get paid billions at this point because it's so much that they do so part of that is like that they want to have these beds full because they want to make their money and that's how they make their money they will take anyone and everyone since we're out of that realm now, because we used to be in it a lot, but like I said, it was like emotionally exhausting for us. Yeah. It literally will be like they came and looked for me or like someone would call us and say, hey, someone was looking for me for like a 10, 20 year old uh, DUI. Wow. And, and so and if you think about it, like if you were if it was me, I got a DUI, I would pay my fine. It's a misdemeanor. Not great. Let me not drive like that, but still. Yeah. And that would be the end of it. But for them, it would be like, this could come up in 10 years and 20 years, and you will get put into a detention center for it. Wow. And you will have to fight to get out of this. And it's And no one is the same person. Hopefully, they were 10, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's why we, and that's normally what we do. Our arguments will always be, as lawyers, this person has a family now. This person has not committed any of the crimes. Like, But it's almost like that good immigrant thing that we had talked about before, which is like, you have to be like squeaky clean because if not, then you're not allowed to stay here. And it's it's unfair because it's like we all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We're all flawed. But how how is it that you always have to be better because you weren't born here pretty much? Right. So it's a it's a tough situation. And we have we try to have a lot of empathy for that, too, because yeah. we do deal with a lot of people who do have crimes. But we'll always tell other people because now then it becomes this narrative of, oh, well, they committed crime, so they should be deported. And you're like. But they're still family members. They're still tios, tias. Like, they still have a life here. And it's not fair to separate them just because of a misdemeanor. Because mm-hmm. it's a misdemeanor. For people who are just coming in, it's a little different. They're coming in through, like, asylum, through the border. They're talking to, like, the Border Patrol people. They actually automatically are in deportation proceedings already. They're coming in knowing that they're going to have to go to court, that they are going to have this. Well, not even knowing. They'll find out once they get here. But yeah. And that's, I think, what you were talking about, the precedent. Like if Mm -hmm. somebody proves that it's not as scary or it's not as dangerous, then all you need is that one. 
mm-hmm. to cite as a precedent for every case thereafter to make it yep. even harder for those people to come in. Yeah. <sighs> I know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is a really sad. <laughs> this could be your saddest podcast. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. We're gonna we're gonna get to the point where I ask you some questions that are unrelated to this. But this is this is so important. We can't avoid that. This is a sad topic. But the mm-hmm. point is that I want people to immerse themselves in what this situation would look like if it was them. Yeah. If it was someone in their family, it's fucked up, dude. It is. Mm-hmm. It's fucked up, and we're all humans. Like we. How do we do this? How do we deal with this and survive and live and thrive? Girl. (laughs) Well, that's my next question is how are you at the end of the day? How do you preserve yourself? Does it get to be too much? Do you, what do you do to make sure that you can keep doing this? Because it does seem from every time that I've spoken to you about this, that Mm -hmm. you're very passionate about this. Like you love the work that you do, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't change the fact that what you're doing is taxing as hell it is it's very taxing because of course we're dealing with people's lives every Mm -hmm. day so i mean i think we do try to have like a good work-life balance we're trying to take a week off every couple weeks the other thing that we do a lot of is go to disneyland yes (laughs) i will i have like an amc pass so i go to the movies a lot yes so i try to do a lot of things to sort of get my mind off of it because if you really sit down and think about all the things that are wrong with immigration you just get really sad and of course yeah i just say okay like there's only so much we can do my law partner and fernando and i will be like okay this is we can't help these people because of this and Mm -hmm. it's really sad and we kind of go over it and then we'll say okay well let's move on because we can't hold on to this. And yeah. So we'll just kind of keep going. But I don't know how healthy that is, compartmentalizing everything, but we do it. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and we, for a while, I was in therapy too. Good. Um, because I did feel like, I definitely think because of law school too, I got PTSD from law school. Why? What happened in law school? It's just law school in general is really difficult. I think a lot of people don't realize how hard it is until they're in it. You do a whole semester of class, but you never know how you're doing until the very end. You have one test. They grade you on a curve. You're very competitive with each other. And so it creates this like really anxious atmosphere. And then studying for the bar was probably the most traumatizing educational experience of our lives. Yeah. Because you're you're studying 10 to 12 hours a day. That's it. Like that's just you in a book. You're yeah. pretty much cramming it into your head. And then after that, you go in for three days of just testing. You do essays, you oh, do God. multiple choice. And it's just, it's like endurance I, more so than anything else. Bro, I don't I think know. I've ever taken an Adderall, but that sounds like the one situation where I'd have to because I can't focus yeah. on anything for that long. I don't know if I have ADHD, but I keep getting these targeted ads about it. I feel like maybe in law school, I might have had that. And I just, you never know because you're, you're so busy with like trying to figure out your life. This is controversial, what I'm about to say. I might cut it out. Who knows? (laughs) I don't think that ADHD exists. Okay. I think that as humans, we are not meant to do fucking anything for eight to 10 hours. I agree. I just don't think so. I think that we're like meant to, you know, hunt a little bit, take a little break, have a snack, keep at it. Trying to stick to something is, I feel unnatural. I think you're right because honestly, 
I feel like a lot of us are like that. Like one of my other good friends, she's like, do I have ADHD? Because I, I feel like I can't focus. And I was like, me too. Yeah. So we I don't do. think I know a single person who's <laughs> like, I'm just going to focus on this just naturally. I feel like there's some people who are just like obsessed with staying focused because it helps yeah. them not focus on something else. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's natural mm-hmm. to be focused on something forever. I, I have such trouble focusing. And sometimes yeah. I feel like there's something wrong with me. And I've told myself, like, you know what? I don't think it's natural to focus. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And then at some point you realize I'm not learning anything. I'm just staring at this. But yeah, it was so yeah, yeah it was like so traumatizing that there was songs because I would have like an alarm that I would have to get up to. And so it was like so, a bright eye song that I had. We went to see Bright Eyes last year. They played the song and I literally had like, I was like, oh my God, I have a final. (laughs) I just looked over to my friend and I was like, oh my God, I think I just got triggered. That's crazy. Because I was literally like, oh my God, that's a song I would play when I would get up to like do during my finals week, you know? And so, and then there would be little things like we would have nightmares, like where we would miss the test, like all of us, like all of my friends. And so we still talk about it sometimes. We'll be like, oh, do you guys remember? And and I mean, I think Philly passed it the first time, but there was friends who didn't. And that was also really hard because you couldn't even celebrate because you were like, this is such a shitty test that like all these people... I think it's only like a 50 something percent passage rate. It's a tough test. Yeah. I think a lot of us develop anxiety, first of all. I'm sure. So that's I'm sure that sounds nerve wracking. And so that's why I was like, I need to, I need to go to therapy, at least to talk about it, you know, talk about my anxiety, talk about how it is that I can at least help myself. So you're in therapy and you're Mm -hmm. doing fun stuff. I do try to just say, okay, I'm done for the day. So my assistant's actually like a good friend of mine. I always try to separate that too because I'm like, I don't want to overwhelm you with work stuff. And and there's times where I think, could I be doing more? Yeah. And maybe, but I'm also like, I need to be okay with not yeah. doing too much because you can easily get caught up in, let me do all these other things. And for a while, I was also teaching and that's how I got re-triggered because I was teaching the bar courses in a law school. So oh, <laughs> so I would be like, we're going to go through all of this again. And I hadn't gone through it in years. Mm-hmm. And it was very rewarding because my students passed the bar. Like I was like, I have a 100% passage rate because all my students passed the bar. Yes. So it was really cool. And I was thinking maybe it really is just like we need a different way to look at this, but also like the whole system needs to be redone for the bar anyways. Cause it's so, it's just very stressful for everyone. And mm-hmm. California is the toughest bar out of all the States. So wow. uh, New York is the second toughest. Um, Ha-ha. I know <laughs> we're, the, East Coast. we're the worst. <laughs> we're the hardest. Cause everyone's trying to live here. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's trying to be a lawyer here. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. But yeah, so that's what I do. I try to do other things. You know, I try to spend time with my husband. We've been together 17 years this year. Yeah, you know, you guys are are going strong. Yeah. And so that's part of it, too. Like you watch these shows where people are like workaholics and they don't have time for their spouses. They don't have time for anything. And that was one thing that I was like, no, I can't be like that. You can easily fall into that. I have more work to do. I always have more work to do. I love that because I think you're a very happy person. You are a joy to be around. Oh, like you're just, you, you're always you such too. great vibes. <laughs> we, uh, we, Naomi and I bonded because we emceed a baby shower together. 
You can hire us, by the way. Yes. <laughs> we will MC your baby shower. We are great at getting the games together. I don't think that upon meeting you, I would have assumed that you were a lawyer because there is like this stereotype that it's like people who are uptight, who are workaholics. You are the perfect combination of like doing the Lord's work and Mm -hmm. then also like living your best life because you deserve to. What you're doing is you're giving back to people who maybe don't have any hope. Truly amazing what you do day in and day out. And for you to feel like you can't enjoy the time off would be absolutely ridiculous. Right? Yeah. And I think we have to be okay with that. We have to. We. I say we. I always say we because I'm always thinking of my law partner. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything. I'm like, we have to be like this now. But you have to kind of push yourself to say, Yes, I can keep working. I can always keep working. There's always going to be work. There's always going to be people who need help. But it's also, am I really helping you if I'm like stressed out, worn down? My cup is empty, so to speak. And you're not. You're not being helpful at that point. Just the fact that you have such a cheery disposition is probably part of what makes people so comfortable working with you. Because Mm -hmm. if I were to want an immigration lawyer i would want to feel like they are on my team yeah like they are somebody who genuinely kind of gives a shit Mm -hmm. and i feel like you give that vibe like you give the caring vibe and you have to fill your cup first so i'm glad you are i think you're a wonderful person i'm so grateful that you came and talked about this (laughs) is there anything that we can do like as a community to help with immigration the minimum is just Being informed of the fact that it's not easy. It's tough for everyone to be like, let me go find out what the situation is in Central America and all that. Because it can be daunting and overwhelming. But at least realizing that people who are coming here are coming here because they have no other choice. A lot of times, no one's going to change their whole life and move to a whole nother country unless it's like, I need to do this. Mm -hmm. It's imperative for not even their safety, but their children's safety. Mm -hmm. And just realizing that immigration laws are very complex. So people can't just fix their papers. If they could, they would. So we can, as a community, lead with compassion. Yes. We can educate ourselves and we can make space. Yeah, empathize with that. Realize that people are trying. Are there any resources that you can tell us about? The ILRC, it's called the Immigration Legal Resource Center. Mm -hmm. I think they have a lot of great stuff that you can read about. There's a lot of nonprofits, too, that are out there doing the work. Oh, and you know what? There's this book, which... I haven't read, but I heard it's really good. Yeah. And it's called Tell Me How It Ends. And I forget who it's by. Someone named Valerie, I think. And it talks about the deportation process. Like she's sitting in on deportation proceedings for people. And she like wrote about it. It's a very small book. Yeah. I can look it up and then I'm going to write that down. Tell me how it ends. Yeah. And it's, it's supposed to be really, really good. I was like, I really should read it because my friend gave it to me for my birthday. I I love Oh, you know what? I read a lot too. Oh, um, as a way to decompress. Yeah, but I try not to read about immigration. Yeah, that's smart. Because that's a lot. too much. Oh, yeah. Her name, it says, Tell Me How It Ends, an essay in 40 questions by Valeria Luiselli. Wrote it down. Want to read it. I know. I I read a lot of YA and romance novels because I was like, I will not read about it. I love garbage reading sometimes. I like when it's like a mystery where it's like this is so cheesy and makes no sense. I want all of it. Like I'm in. Yes. I'm all the way in. Oh, thank you so much for chatting with us today. 
You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you both. Of All course. the work you do. Oh, we are just here being us. <laughs> That's all we can do. (laughs) All right, podcast out. Yes, that's good. It's raining then. Delicious podcast sound. Yes.